Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Few. Before we get started, if it's the first time you've listened to this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on YouTube or whether you're listening to one of the podcasting platforms. Save this space because if you don't get through this podcast, you're going to want to come back. The number one element to success in anything in life is your ability to sell and influence. Uh, There is no doubt about it. Some people call it being political. Uh, Some call it the gift of the gab. Maybe some people call it being charming. But ultimately, your ability to get in a room with someone else and create a compelling story and a reason for engagement is what's going to drive your business but also make you memorable. And in in a world today where we forget 90% of what we learn within six to seven days, how do we do that? And I reckon we've got uh, one of the world's biggest experts on influence and sales, and I particularly love where he's coming from because he uses words like rules of engagement, standard operating procedures, which as we veterans and ex-military people know, are fundamental for success to create the brain space for creativity. So let's make you welcome now. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Uh, Steve Noodleberg, man, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you here. And I'm thrilled to be here as well. You listen to the opening of your show. You listen to the words that you're using. I love creating and then delivering engagement. And that's, you know, the world we're living in is revolving around that. People aren't used to it because we lived in this transactional mindset in and out. Well, you, you got to have some patience and you got to be able to not only create, but like you said, engage and stay engaged. What is it then? What What is it about being influential? I don't mean an influencer. Let's, let's not go down the influencer on social media. You know, you and I are not going to make that happen with our bikini bodies. But what is it about being influential that sets people apart? How do you know someone's influential and how do you become influential? Awesome question. So you called me an expert in the introduction. I do not call myself an expert. I call myself a student of the game. I'm constantly learning and assessing and paying attention to other people who I'm attracted to what they're doing or how they're doing it. So, you know, the game has changed so significantly. And I think what people are attracted to is confidence. You know, so when you show up and you really, really know what you're talking about, it's intoxicating. It gets people jazzed. Like, I'm not interested in you validating me. I've already validated what I know, what I do, how I do it. And I think that's where the charm is in that, you know, I do it, I get the results. So there's no substitute for the work. And then, oh, if you want to learn from me and see how I do it, okay, maybe there's an opportunity for us to, you know, experience share. But the whole selling platform is so off. I mean, I ask CEOs all the time, I go, if I found your phone number, would you answer the phone if I called you? It's unanimously 
No. So yeah. <laughs> you get those same CEOs will go back to their organization and endorse a cold calling strategy. So I'm like, do you see that it's broken? Do you see that nobody wants to be sold? You know, and so it's reversed. Everybody is trying to sell something. Nobody's trying to take the time to get to know you. You reached out to get to know me. You didn't sell me anything. We're starting something. I can promise you, you and I will do something somewhere in the journey that will be very fruitful. But if you came in, you know, and your first volley to me is I want to sell you something. See you later. Sayonara. I had a conversation with someone the other day and they're, um, they've gone through a growth stage. They have some appointment setters to get the meetings. But his philosophy was this is, I want my setters to appoint meetings with people I want to be a friend with. And if I do business with them, great. But the only thing I'm looking for is to make a new friend or to spend time with someone that has a like-minded mindset to me. And I thought that was a really, you know, you just reinforced it. You just said the same thing, which is, hey, let's talk and see whether there's something we've got in common, see whether we vibe. And everyone has something to offer from a commercial business sense, right? Everyone has something to offer. But what we need to do is build a bridge of trust, yeah? And I think that is what you're saying. You've got to still do the work. But how quickly do we erode trust when we try and get something from someone straight away? Yeah, so what the model that you just described, it'd been an appointment setter that reached out to me and not you, non-starter for me. I'm not going down that road. So when you reach out and say, I noticed, I watched, I heard, I, you invested in something about me and we're connecting in a relevant way, that's where it all starts. So clearly, if you did not like me, conversation's over. I'm not on your show. We're not doing anything. And I'm okay with that. I don't need everybody to like me. I need the ones who are supposed to like me, like me. That's the work. And whether it's the teams I follow, the school I went to, my passions and you know what I eat, where I hang out, when you hang out with like-minded people, good things happen. So you have the 27 kind of key points or outcomes for people to be better at influencing, better at selling. You know, your book is a confessions of a salesman, <laughs> a serial salesman. How do we bundle those up? So if there was 27, how would we wrap those up in, if I'm just going to start this week and I'm going to worship at the altar of Steve, yeah, what would be the first kind of three things I'd focus on in the first month? So the book is that I'm shy, I'm introverted, <laughs> I, I've got a great idea. And none of that matters. So I was voted least likely to write a book in high school. That was never part of my game plan. I was fortunate. I've experienced some success. I've had tons of failures that were the greatest learning, you know, things for me. So someone said, you should write a book and leave what you know to your grandson. Your grandson would never know who you are unless you write it down and memorialize it. And I was like, dude, you just hit me with a boom right to the heart. So what I did was I wrote down my process. Now, I, um, I tell you and I tell everybody, this was my process. I'm not asking anybody else to do what I did. What I tell people is use it as a scorecard yeah, I'm doing that, or I'm not doing that, or where can I improve? So it was 27 rules for influencers and leaders, starting with basically how I live my day. So there's three initials that I have always lived by. This acronym is RPD. Doesn't matter what you do, what walk of life, 
relationships, process, and discipline. If you and you as a military, you get it. You know, you get the process and the discipline side because you had to. You didn't have a choice. I love the fact that the most successful people have a process. Sports, entertainment, you know, business. There's some rhythm to what they do on a daily basis. So the rules in my book are fairly simple. First rule is wake up early. Now, early is a nebulous conversation. It means different things to different people, what part of the world you're in. But I know from doing the homework, most of the successful people I know get up before the sun. And there's more work to be done then in an isolation chamber, no inbound, than you can do during the day when it gets cluttered and distracted. So I started waking up a half hour earlier. I write about it in the book. I have been up at 3.30 every day for 20 years. I don't need an alarm clock. I don't do, you know, anything. It drives my woman crazy, but I'm up and out because that time is thinking and development and feeding myself spiritually and mentally to be the best person I can be. But I had people challenging me and say, well, I I wake up late or I'm a night owl and I'm sick. I go, listen, do what you want to do. Just do it with discipline and consistency. Don't get up in the morning or get up late and then it's a random thing, clockwork. Do it with intention. Have a reason for everything. Yeah. So you got it. So for me, you know, it's wake up early, simple things like what I eat, what I drink, all of those things, like you said, with intention, you know, people go out and do what they do. It's very random, such as, and this is one of the top rated rules in the book. Most people, when they meet somebody for the first time, or they're meeting somebody they haven't seen in a while, first thing they say is, how are you? How are you? Is an invitation for you to dump your shit in my backpack. No, thank you. Not interested, especially when I'm trying to create a relationship and you're starting out negative. Oh, my house, my car, my boss. I don't want to hear it. So I flipped the script. And because we're all capable of doing this, I started asking people, hey, tell me something good. Wow. You know, a little awkward in the beginning, but most of the people that I asked were like stunned. They didn't know what to say. They had to think about it because they're not programmed positive. The the negative shit is right up here. Oh, the minute I started getting something positive at them, that momentum turned into, wow, I'm really learning about you. The best example of that is I did some role playing with a client and randomly picked this girl, Darlene. Darlene, tell me something good. She was like disoriented. And then she said, my son just finished his second year at MIT. This lady was lit up like a Christmas tree. She was glowing. And I said, Darlene, that's amazing. Tell me more. She went on to tell me. And then ultimately at the end of that conversation, she asked me, hey, Steve, why don't you tell me something good? Which by the way, is the perfect introduction for her to hear who I am and what I do in a much more relevant setting. So the moral of that story is that lady is still a client and that lady's son is the number two scientist for Elon Musk. Wow. So he's a real rocket scientist. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there is some rocket science behind your methodologies. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, it's what you do every single day. And Warren Buffett taught us this with compounding money. 
You know, if you put money in, it works for you. It's the same with behavior. So most people are coaching outcomes. I want, here's the goal. Here's where we want to be. I, you know, I want to lose weight. Okay. Well, if you eat donuts every day, man, you're not going to lose weight. So behavior, what am I eating? How am I exercising? What water intake? Those behavioral things stack and all of a sudden they compound. And we look at things in terms of what we're doing every single day, daily habits. And that's really what the book focuses on is what you're doing daily. And if you're willing to look at it and change it, the world around you changes and everybody knows. So when you started your journey, and obviously a very big chunk of life was, was in sales, right? What changed to you? Like, did you find it natural to sell at first? Did you do it the right way straight out of the gate? Like, what was your journey with sales? So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My grandfather and my dad, uh, both entrepreneurs, they were in uh, the retail world, they had ladies, fashion, shoe stores. And I watched at that time, masters of the trade, you know, and there was a lot of charm and manipulation and stuff like that. But I was around it. I got comfortable with it. I loved the people side of it. Then that migrated to when I got into it, still loved the idea of the people, but the idea of selling them something never worked for me. The idea of me offering something that they could buy always worked. And I found that if I would give them something first, hey, I'm a guy that's out and about town. It's probably somebody in my world that can help you grow your business. Who can I introduce you to? People were like stunned, like, where's your pitch? What do you, give me the offer. It was like, I don't even know what, what would I offer you? It'd be like going into a doctor and the doctor goes, hey, here's the penicillin. Whoa, <laughs> I didn't tell you what was wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> I was okay up front getting to know people just because of who they were, what I could learn from them, or who they could introduce me to. And I can tell you this, the reality is, and I wrote about it in the book, there's a gentleman who would never be able to buy our services at the time. He was in a public business and they didn't do what we did, but he said, I'm so enamored with you. I'm going to become your best referral source. I heard that a zillion times. Yeah. And most of the time it's not true. This guy, unbelievable how many, I mean, trackable metrics of how he's our best salesperson because Anytime he hears about growth and opportunity, whatever, he said, you should talk to Steve Nudelberg. What's that worth? Should I have blown that up because he wasn't going to buy from me? And then, you know, salespeople get pissed off and never call that person again. You know, what happens if they just become a good friend of yours forever and yeah. you do good shit, you know? Yeah. So I don't understand how it's being taught. It's fractured. We live in a transactional environment when relationship selling relationship development should be the norm. But if you look at the divorce rate, we just don't know how to communicate with people, you know? Well, yeah, we feel like there's something to gain in, in every new relationship without realizing what we lose in the previous one. So how do you scale a business? I mean, if it's all relationship based, there's only one Steve, there's only one Boo. How do you grow a business if, because the other flip side of relationships is you can't have a ton of them if they're meaningful, right? I would disagree with you. So I'll answer the first question. Training and development in sales 
specifically is atrocious. It is, you know it, I know it. You look at some of the categories. We do so much in the insurance business. The training is 50 years old. Hit the phone, send out, you know, they think more, more, more. It's not more. More is not better. Better is better. And philosophically, I scaled my own business with the tools that are available. I teach CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs how to do the same. And once you do it, the way you scale is to teach it to other people. So if you have everybody in your organization, like-minded, developing relationships, and I use these numbers just to give people a sense. So I would say to somebody, if you work for me, I would tell you straight off the bat, you need to meet 1,200 new people in year one. And when they came up for air after that, you know, the blood started to come back to their face. They're like, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> well, I say to them, I go, so it sounds intimidating, right? I said, but if I showed you a plan where you could meet five new people a day and never leave your desk, would you be interested? Absolutely. Five a day is 25 a week. 25 a week is 100 a month, 300 a quarter, 1,200 a year, and you've never left your desk and you never got a referral yet. So of the 1,200 people that you meet, how many need to do something with you or refer you to somebody for you to have the best year of your life? It's easy. The tools made it easy. Like we have a client that I saw last night and he goes, why isn't everybody doing this? And I said, the reality is I started doing it 10 years ago after I sold my business. I saw all the tools that are around us. People just don't use the tools. They're stuck in an old paradigm and letting go of that paradigm is scary. It's like breathing. We have a new way to breathe. It's more efficient. It makes you feel better. It's fun. It's great. But you still got to make a decision to stop breathing the way you already know. That's a big decision. And people are stuck. The ones who get unstuck, the top 5%, are crushing it now because they're able to scale relationship building without leaving their desk. It's interesting. I think also it's work, right? And people also accept that it's a bit like your crappy car still going to get you to work, right? It's still going to drive. It's going to cost a bit more. You're going to have it in the shop more often. But, you know, ultimately, you're happy to have a suboptimal journey to get to work as opposed to an executive that might have a lease. The car always works. It's always on time. It's got a Bluetooth. You're productive. You're having phone calls. I think people convince themselves that what they're doing works and they, they can't understand it or don't appreciate what the next leap actually delivers for you. So I think there's a fear, but I also think there's a apathy. And, and I think there's just that general kind of acceptance. And I think humans are great. You know, what I certainly learned in Afghanistan was you can find people that are just as happy and content with life with the side of their apartment blown out from an artillery shell 20 years ago Crazy, right? as people are miserable with a billion dollars in their back pocket and having suicidal thoughts, right? So it's fascinating, but you know, you, you must be a student of human behavior and what you, you have to be. So, you know, the, the thing that is vogue is we live in a credit card world. I don't want to do it. I'll pay for it later. Give me the success now. But you said it, it takes time and it takes patience and you got to do the work. Everybody in our space that's out there is pitching, come to me, pay me this money and you'll be a millionaire in three months. What a crap of shit, man. <laughs> the, yeah. There isn't any of that going on out there. Otherwise, that person who's trying to sell it wouldn't be, they wouldn't be dealing with you for your $3,000 or, you know, it's, 
So people are looking for that. How do I do it fast? If you look at the diet industry, you know, Ozempic is really popular now for people to lose weight. It could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. Okay. Shoot me up and bang, bang. You know, I want to lose 50 pounds in three months. Not healthy. But people want shortcuts. I learned a long time ago, there's no shortcuts. I got work ethic from my grandfather and my dad. Thank God they gave it to me. I work. I don't have to work the same as I did. The tools make it easier to do and scale. So I work less, make more, have a wonderful life. Look at where you are. What you, you know, the world is no longer limited to my geographical territory. I could be anywhere in the world and no one gives a shit where I am. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't have to go to your office to produce content, to build a friendship. We're doing this. We haven't met physically yet. So this idea of face-to-face, -face, if you adopt a virtual mindset, a digital mindset, this is face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Face-to-flesh is when you come up and we break bread and, you know, yeah. that's a gift, man. Thank you. But if there's clients, CEOs that I coach, I've never been in the same room with. If you told me that three years ago, I'd go, you're crazy. It's got to be a steak dinner, wine, yeah. you know, I got to schmooze them. You know, those days are over. Nobody wants to do that. The people I work with are happy that it's real efficient the way we work together. They can do it from anywhere. I could do it from anywhere. So the parameters have changed where anybody anywhere can be a client. Now, there's some businesses that have that limitation, but everybody knows somebody. And so, you know, just looking at LinkedIn, 90% of the people have no idea what they're doing with LinkedIn. They think yeah. it's a social media platform. It's not. It is a biz dev model. Yeah. It's not about posting. And it's not about all that stuff. Yeah, that's a conduit to the results. But when you get into the real workings of how LinkedIn works, I'm going to meet people that I don't know through the people I know. I heard that 10 years ago. I was like, I don't care what they want me to do. man. I'm signing up for that. Oh, they want me to wear a tutu gun. You know? So I have met so many people who would have never, ever been in my daily activity. And again, I've never left the screen. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing. And the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. Was there anyone in your journey, Steve, that you thought like through the development phase that just picked it up so quickly and had such profound success? You've never really, you were kind of blown away. And if so, what was different about them? So I've always been fortunate to put myself in situations where I meet people. And I think people deliver value to you in lots of different ways. Early on in my career, and I was not in training and development, I was in a business and I got approached by somebody who was working for Tony Robbins. And that was when Tony was doing a, an event in every city. And, you know, he had teams of people going out to sell tickets or give away tickets. The guy that I met, I wound up becoming very friendly with. I wound up sponsoring Tony's event in the South Florida market. So I got to meet him and spend time with him. And what I realized was that I didn't need to take everything from Tony. Not everything he said worked for me. But there were a few things, boom, that I put into my 
you know, like one he said 25 years ago, where focus goes, energy flows. Brilliant. No multitasking, you know, so so I was able to pull nuggets from people that I was like, big part of my career, I worked with college football coaches and NFL coaches, and they were always dropping things in knowledge that they didn't even know what they were saying. Nick Saban said something, and I've heard this referred to through other people, but I heard it through Nick, and it was basically win. And it wasn't win and lose. It was what's important now. And that's just a crucial exercise for your brain to prioritize. Oh, okay. We got the shit kicked out of us yesterday. That's not a deal we thought we'd lose, but we did. What's next? What's important now? How do we reprioritize? And so, you know, the philosophy that those guys had about managing people, motivating people, there's just tons of learning. And now my favorite question when I'm on stage is I ask people, I go, does anybody in the audience own a library? Everybody looks around like, no. <laughs> I go, does everybody in the room have an iPhone or its equivalent? Hold it up. You own a library. <laughs> click, click. You can learn anything. <laughs> you the big, well, the biggest library, right? <laughs> exactly. I go, you can spend 10,000 hours in your iPhone and become a brain surgeon if you want, if you're willing <laughs> to do that. It's there to do, but that's the caveat. Most people are not willing to do what it takes to be successful. When you joined the military, you were told what to do. And if you didn't do it, you were kicked out. <laughs> that discipline taught you, you got to do stuff. You got to learn how to climb the rope. <laughs> I remember that always blew me out in gym. I just wasn't coordinated <laughs> enough to climb the rope. But that philosophy about I'm willing to give up. And if you ask any successful entrepreneur, business person, athlete, they will tell you what they gave up. I gave up all my time in high school. I gave up all of, you know, gave yeah. up weekends with my wife. There's a cost to all of it. Nothing comes for free. Yeah. And so I love when people say to me, dude, you're like the luckiest guy on the planet. And then I tell them, bullshit, I am. <laughs> I work my ass off. Of yeah. So, yeah, it's, and it's true. It's where people find an excuse, right? Oh, it's because of COVID, uh, because of high interest rates, uh, oh, it's because of inflation. But when you look at the statistics, despite all of that, there's plenty of companies and people that still thrive, that still do well. They just don't allow the excuse to drive their behavior. They might not make as much money or they may not be as successful, have as much time, but there's almost like there's a bit left in the tank to lean into those moments and to continue prospering despite the adversity. Or the alternative is you triple your business like we did. So I was speaking once or twice a week. I had book sales. I had clients I was coaching. I was doing all kinds of stuff. Very, very robust loving life. And then somebody turned the faucet off. Everything we had, every speaking engagement canceled. Mm. Every client called, hey, we don't really know what's going on, man. We got to put a pause button on this. Mm -hmm. you know? Zero revenue. We went to zero inbound revenue, which had never happened to me in any business, just zero. So what do you do? Do you crawl into bed and cry about it? Or do you FIO, figure it out. <laughs> and so we figured it out. We flipped the entire model to a virtual. You know, we had already been testing Zoom, but Zoom was the spot. You know, can you imagine Skype? They fall asleep at the wheel. I mean, nobody yeah. talks about Skype anymore. <laughs> it was like the whole world went digital and you went away. So yeah. 
crazy, the, right? The people who are opportunistic look at the playing conditions and say, what do I need to do to succeed? I mean, I still hear people say, well, when it gets back to normal, I'm like, okay, this is not normal. There's nothing normal. It's never going to be normal. Or this one, which I love, I go, um, how are you handling these difficult times? Or like being in business is difficult. It's not going to never not be difficult. It's like, that's what it is, right? Particularly the higher you are, the, where you are in the leadership pyramid, right? And I think it's that misconception that it is easy, you know, that, that people that have the big boats and go past on the big houses, it's like, oh, look at all those lucky people there. But it's predominantly dealing with the pain, right? And to your point, the higher up you go, the more risk there is of failure. You know, you could fail the business, you can fail the board, you can fail your employees. You know, when you scale companies, which I've been fortunate to have done, man, the responsibility is so overwhelming. You know, people talk about mental health. I think I see more very, very successful CEOs looking at transitioning into something that's way different where I don't want to work all the time. I don't, you know, I want to do what I love. And if I do what I love, the money will follow. It's a book that was given to me. God, I must've been in my late twenties, uh, maybe early thirties. And the book was do what you love and the money will follow. And the person who gave it to me wrote on the inside and said, what happens if you climb the corporate ladder your whole life, just to realize it was leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I felt like the guy reached into my heart and tore it out. I was like, dude, <laughs> I was that guy. That's we were building big companies, and my lifestyle changed when I changed. I said, listen, yeah. I know how to do this. I can create the playing field. Do it in a way that makes me happier. Do it on my terms and take responsibility for the outcome. Do you think, though, to some degree? post-COVID, the, the concept of the corporate ladder and the compromises seems to have shifted a little bit, that now that there's more scope to be your true self, to have rest. The old-fashioned leadership model of corporate has the expectation that everyone's going to be there sitting ready to go because I'm, I can't make decisions as a leader and I'm just going to direct people every day to the, a new model where the implementation layer of an organization is like, you know what, if you make sense and it's worth doing, I'll do it. But otherwise, I'm just going to quite quit and just let you flap, flap about. I feel like we've got this disconnect between the pre-COVID corporate ladder model and the, hey, you, you're not making any sense. I'm not going to get on your wagon, buddy. I think if you look at the statistics, uh, they're, the work from home mentality is down to 25% of the workforce is now working from home. Large organizations like Goldman, Nike today said they're going from a three-day to a four-day in-office you know, so the trend is to try and put people back in office. And I think what the big backlash, the big disconnect is I don't need to be sitting in that office in order to be productive. Now, as it comes to relevant to the sales community, sales leadership never trusted salespeople, never did. Where are you on Friday afternoon at three o'clock? Like, excuse my friend, but who the fuck cares where you are? If yeah. you're knocking the cover <laughs> off the ball, I don't need to know where you are. You don't need to be sitting right in front of me. Yeah. And so it has to start with trust. It has to start with accountability. Like wherever you are in the world, do the work. Yeah. If the work gets done, nobody has a problem. And I still don't think that that's fixed in many organizations. Just the trust that, you know, because most people are in it for themselves. 
Like if you go out and produce, I get a promotion. Like what's wrong with that model? It's got to be something in it for all of us. You know, every model that we created before I sold my company had everybody tied to the top line. Everybody, everybody in the building. Like, I don't care if you were cleaning the building, we <laughs> needed to have a clean office in order to do what we did. Everybody got some incentive to be part of the big number. And man, when we did that, we had full on ownership. I want people to own it. You don't have to physically be the owner, but you got to take ownership of what you're producing here. And I just don't think corporations get it that you can do that. You can have entrepreneurs that work for you. The entrepreneurial mindset is, yeah, I own my work. I love this. I want to do it. Yeah. It's not just for people who go out and do it on their own. Yeah, questions a lot of people ask, and I was at a CEO luncheon the other day, and there was a lot of agitation in the room about sales, about sales leaders, about the difference between relationship managers and sales. And the challenge was, was a lot of organizations have been leaning and spending big on digital marketing and content marketing, but they're seeing their sales reduce over time. And now they're like, well, maybe we need to bring people back in on the phones. Maybe we need to have people start to build these relationships again. Because I think for a lot of people, digital marketing is very unfulfilling. It's a kind of a black hole and or a dartboard where you throw more darts and hopefully something hits. What's the role of a sales individual? I'm not talking about a business owner now. I'm talking about a business owner looking for someone to do sales, right? So what is the role of that person now? Is there one? Is it more than it ever was? Or is it just the same as it's been through 100,000 years of human evolution that there's always someone on the team that's able to make the connections and convince people to enter into a commercial arrangement? That's a really good question because I think the role is much more significant than it ever was. People think it's a quick fix. I'm going to spend money. I'm going to do digital advertising and digital advertising is air cover, you know, yep. using the jet. We're going to go in jets first and then every territory war is won by the ground troops. Mm. Ground troops are really important. Digital marketing is just air cover. It's not personal. I don't give a shit about the logo anymore. I give a shit about the person that's interacting with me. And some of the biggest deals that I've been engaged in, I started the conversation with something about them, not about me. Digital marketing is about me. Look at me. I'm the best. And we're the, I'll reach out to somebody and say, I saw you post something about the New York Jets. I'm a New York Jet fan. And only a New York Jet fan could understand that misery. Yeah. In bond, <laughs> you know, get to know each other. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, you do that? We have a problem. Could you take a look at my problem? And, you know, so it's organic and you can scale that type of organic marketing, which is what we do with our clients. I mean, we show people and in categories that are just haven't shown any innovation in the sales world, people are blown away. You know, and I'm a big believer in like, show me the case studies. You can tell me of the greatest, you know, whatever great good for you let me talk to somebody who's actually was in your restaurant you can tell me you have great meatballs i don't believe you i believe someone who ate there and said those are great meatballs so the proof for any sales organization i think is pipeline you have to have a rolling 90 days of opportunity most people spend their time on the decision training is spent on trying to drive a yes or no we don't do that. We teach people how to open more opportunity 
the right ones fall through the funnel organically and people like that and they tell their friends and it's like, Hey, I'm dealing with this guy. He's changed, you know, our business. I mean, last night we host an event every year we call it the women's power summit. We have some of the local leaders, women that speak about, and we invite men and it's just a great event. One of our clients spoke and at the event, she introduced us to the managing partner of a very big law firm and said, these guys changed our business. And he's like, I'm looking for change and set up a, you know, a call with me. So it's the good old fashioned, I got a guy thing works. And if you use the tools properly, it's never been easier. People are lazy. People are trying to cheat the system and do it in scale. When, when was the last time you bought something because you saw it advertised? I don't know, maybe on Instagram and all that crap. I don't think I've ever bought anything. I actually have a pathological, don't click it because it's an ad, but no, that's me. Right. I'm the worst person to use as a buyer. I get emails and I get through LinkedIn, I get so many messages from people who are trying to sell me lead gen services and they can't even get a conversation with me. I'm like, seriously? Looks like you've had a great career. Are you interested in owning your own business? Two second check. We didn't see I've owned a dozen businesses. So yeah. the world is trying to do it the wrong way when the ones who do it right it's so such an outlier and it's fun. It's most people in don't get into sales because they're afraid of the rejection. I don't really have rejection. I'm not asking you to do anything. If you don't like doing business with ball guys, great. I'm cool. Great. Move <laughs> on. I don't care. I want to know that up front. Yeah, of course. I don't want to dance with you for six months and then you go, sorry, we don't do business with ball guy. Like, <laughs> why don't you tell me that up front? <laughs> you know? We know for a fact that that human doesn't exist, mate. Everyone wants to do business with a ball guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve, mate, getting towards the end of the podcast here, there's a 22 year old budding Steve out there with all your experience and knowledge to date. What's one accelerator you would give to yourself back in those days to influence more people, to make a bigger impact? to have more scale than you do today. And I mean, no one owns the world. So what would be something that would have you owning more of the world if you only knew it back then? It's a difficult question because the tools were different, but knowing what I know, it's all about awareness. I tell people, if you were famous, would you do more business? And they unequivocally say, yes. So if you found a way to make yourself create more awareness, you will do more business. The Kardashians have really no redeeming quality. They offer nothing other than we know who they are and we listen to what they say. But if you didn't know them, if you were unaware of them, there's no opportunity there. So opportunity comes from awareness. And I think we always knew it. We thought we had to pay for it. The world has changed. Logos don't buy logos. People buy people. Mate, thanks for that, Steve. Awesome, awesome feedback. Hey, I love that conversation and I feel that where you're coming from really, really resonates, but equally there's so much noise around the quick win channels these days that people aren't investing in the old school. It's not even old school. It's just human behavior. I hate that word old school. Oh, that's old school. What being friendly with people and, and not asking for stuff is old school. That's just called being a decent human. Thanks so much for that. If you're looking for Steve on the ball is Steve's coaching business. It's actually a pretty awesome family affair there, Steve. So Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that's a bit of a dream too, right? Doing great things with your boys. I bumped into the training and development business when I sold my last business. Somebody in the market ran a hundred branches for a bank. 
said, we hire people all the time. Nothing's really resonating. Would you do it? I was like, I don't really do that. P.S. I did. I enjoyed it. I love the give back aspect of it. That led me to write my book and start building this training and development model. Both of my sons were college football coaches. Never thought there'd be any opportunity for us to work together, although they are schooled by me and my philosophy, and that made them successful in their vertical uh, until one day my older son said, I don't want to do it this way anymore. I want to get into business and do it. And so he hopped over. You know, I basically gave him all of my knowledge. He had never been in any kind of business or sales role, but he knew how to motivate people. He knew about leadership and uh, he runs the company now. That's Mark Noodleberg. And then my younger son, who was uh, his last stop was the University of Florida as quarterback, coach, assistant. He said, hey, I want in on the family stuff. So the organization is scaling again. I do not run the day to day. My boys are doing a great job. They have great clients and great content. And we put it all out on social media. It would be hard to be in LinkedIn or any of Instagram or Facebook and not see us what we do. We do a live show every morning called the Daily Huddle. One day, it would be great to have you as our guest. We do uh, Fridays is Huddler in the Hot Seat. So we take an entrepreneur and have them, <laughs> you know, we ask them tough questions about their career, similar to what you did here. It's all about awareness, you know, no pitching, no deck. I'm not coming in with a long deck. So the family affair part of it has won us a lot of business. We do business with a lot of family businesses because of that dynamic. And so uh, very blessed. Awesome, man. That's great. Hey, Steve, thanks very much. All of Steve's contact details, ability to reach out, I'll be in the show notes. A Confessions of a Serial Salesman is Steve's book, fantastic book to either enhance where you are today to go from the minors to the majors, but also you might be the world's best salesperson. You might be the best thing since sliced bread when it comes to being an influencer, but there's always more game. So Steve, thanks so much for uh, coming on The Few and sharing those insights. I know they're going to be very valuable for our listeners. Thanks again. Thank you much. Enjoyed it. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Ode Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.